Just remember, you're dressed like that for America. And I, for one, salute you. Salute you, Addison. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to learn more about it because you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Sipple Shepard. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. I hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every two weeks. This is going to take several years, as you can imagine. So please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's let's get get started. Finally, they get the door open, and then there's, from high up, a big wide shot of the apartment. And they do show, there's the bag on the floor, there's a shaving cream, and the place is a disaster. It's been cleaned out. Um, And again, you might have to explain, Grace, because I don't understand how in a matter of a few hours, they've completely moved everything out of the apartment and why. It's been ransacked. Okay, I know they're looking for something there, but like, why is everything moved out of the apartment, etc.? This part of the plot needs to be explained a little bit. I think it's because the writers wanted to mention the Santini brothers. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I looked that up too, but I'm sure you did too. So go ahead. It was just a New York moving company, which started with like five or six brothers, Italian brothers and in 1905, but then they sold it in the late eighties and then it was dissolved in 93, but another New York reference, but I would have understood it if they'd ransacked the place trying to find that envelope. Yeah. But to take furniture? That didn't make sense at all. Unless Uh, they were thinking, right, we need to do this quick. We'll take everything out and we'll check everything at the warehouse. Yeah, I guess so. And one other thing about the reference with the Seven Santini Brothers, like, you know, she says, who could have done this? And then I think he says Seven Santini Brothers. Yeah. But I think that's such a good example of how they've said, if there was a reference that you thought would be funny, most of the country wouldn't get that. Glenn said, ah, put it in anyway. Even if uh, 5% of the viewers get it, who cares? You know, where normally in a show, they wouldn't put such an obscure reference to some specific New York moving company into a show. But funnily enough, they had branches all over the States, apparently. Okay. All right. So maybe at that time, it was a more well-known company. People here, we would have just thought, okay, I don't know what you're talking about, but sounds funny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's just something funny to say anyway, the Seven Santini Brothers, you know. Sounds good. Yeah, it's a random reference anyway. But, oh, I love this. They go in and the place has been cleaned out slash ransacked. And I think Maddie says, what could they be looking for? And David says, bank loot, crown jewels, pair of lost contacts. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, turn the place over looking for a pair of lost contacts, which, you know, (laughs) Yeah, so they kind of separate and they're like searching around and then David turns around, sees himself in the mirror and scares himself and punches himself in the mirror thinking it might be somebody else. Now, I love this scene. Um, Do you have anything to say about that? Only the goof that's in it. When he first punches it, the envelope's not there and then they look back and the envelope's behind the mirror. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so when he first breaks the glass, it's not there. But I love Maddie's reaction and how caring she is to David. They play the moonlighting theme music, you know, and get something to cover his hand and stuff, and they play that. I know. And I really like, he talks like a little kid when she asks him what happened. He goes, oh, I punched my hand in the mirror. I know. And he's kind of looking like really kind of sad when um, she's taking, like tending to his wound. And 
I really love how caring she is towards him in that moment. We finally get to the murder in the mail. And of course, she's yapping around him while he's reading and looking at the passport. Yes. Not knowing that he's already worked it out. It's funny how unofficial passports were in those days. Everything was handwritten and, you know, some ink with a little pasted on picture. And as much as Bruce manhandles Sybil for their physical comedy, Sybil, on the other hand, is constantly hands on Bruce. What do we do now? Yeah. What do we do now? But when they hear someone coming in the front door, she like grabs onto him and she takes his sweater and grabs onto that. Did you notice that? Yes. And then they go out into the fire escape. But the whole time, like even when they're in the hall and she's behind them, when they hear someone coming in and she grabs onto him, grabs his sweater, she's always touching him, which, you know, who wouldn't? But it's just funny. (laughs) Who wouldn't? (laughs) When they're on the fire escape, she's like on his back. It's almost like he's giving her a piggyback ride or something like that. She's like laying on him. You know what I mean? Hands like wrapped around. It just always reminds me like how closely they worked together all of the time. That's true. And just a thought in Scott Ryan's book, at this point in the life of the series behind the scenes, Glenn says, Sybil and Bruce were not getting along at all. And he had to sit them down and tell them to get along, that they're going to be working together a while and all these things. But you would never see it at all on screen. No. It's a love-hate. And it's just the frustration of working so closely together hours at a time. No, they were all very professional about it the whole time. If anything, she smiles out of character. That's what I think too. It's like she seems amused by him a lot of the time. But I just think it's interesting. Um, Another kind of possible goof, when they're in the bathroom and they hear someone coming through the door and they run out of the bathroom, she turns the light off in the bathroom. But if you look close, I don't think that there's a light switch there. Well, it's funny you should say that because even at the entrance when they first walked in, The light switches, the covers have been removed, but I don't know whether the switch is actually still there. You can't really tell. Yeah, you can't really tell, but I looked at it a couple of times and I couldn't see an actual switch to. Yeah. But yeah, it could be there or not. So, but it, you know, I'm not sure if it's a goof or not, but anyway, but yeah. Okay. So they, they run out to the fire escape as a new guy. This is a third person. Is it the dead man or the living man? New guy, still alive. (laughs) (laughs) new guy still alive so funny so what i don't get about this scene is the guy knew roy hirsch very well because he worked for them yeah so he says but later on you find out when he's in maddie and david's office that he knew his hiding place so he goes to the bathroom and sees that the mirror is broken thinking oh somebody's already taken the envelope but wouldn't you break the other mirrors as well to check it's not behind there yeah there were other mirrors. I didn't even really notice that there were other mirrors. Yeah, there's other mirrors that he that he moves, you see. But if right. you're that desperate, wouldn't you smash that? And that's why he goes there. You find that out later that he knew the place and that's why he went to the bathroom. So David opens up the envelope, finds the passport and a Russian written note. And we get another David, David, David as they're coming in from the fire escape. And he does help her in the window, if you've noticed. Being a gentleman that he is. Yes, this time, after he barged out in front of her last time. She's trying to explain one's dead, one's alive. I don't even know who Roy Hirsch is. He goes, sure we do. He's a Russian spy. Right. So now we're back to Agnes. Yay. Yay, we get a rhyme. We get a rhyme. Mark it on the Excel spreadsheet, Grace. (laughs) Yes, I've got to put that here. We got a rhyme from Agnes. I really like this rhyme. Because she loves her job and she puts a lot of passion into it and she puts a hand on her heart saying, this is why I'm on the line, to help you. And then, unfortunately, she finds out that it's the people checking the order for the coffees. I know, which is hilarious, you know. (laughs) Oh, Blue Moon's finally getting some business. Nope, just the coffee order. Blue Moon Detective Agency, if persons are missing, if objects are lost, we'll find them for you at reasonable cost. Your runaway husband, that non-paying louse, we'll find them for you. Bring them back to the house. Lost the prize-winning dog? Lost the prize-winning calf? We'll find them both for you in just no time flat. So tell us your problem. It'll all work out fine. Just tell me your problem. It's why I'm on the line. <laughs> it's either Mr. Sandwich or the coffee order. Uh, yeah. And so Maddie and David have arrived back at the building. And they're arguing about, you know, she said, this is a job for the government. And he's saying, no, it isn't. And then <laughs> I love it when he gets the gun out. Oh, my gosh. And she's like, this 
that? What is that? What is that? It's a jello mold. What do you think it is? I know. I just love when she screams. I just love it. And he's reckless with that gun. He points at her twice. It's like, oh. David, David, David. Oh, oh, tiny crazy. little one, too. <laughs> I know. It's a little pistol. Now we get an elevator scene. So they come out of the elevator. They walk down the hall, King talking, turning the corner. As you notice, the camera has to turn the corner with them and shakes a little bit. Must have been oh. hard pulling, you know, those big, huge cameras oh. down and trying to move them so fast. Nothing handheld back in that day. I didn't notice that. There's a bit of a camera shake when they go around the corner. But David and that gun and you know it, that really pushes Maddie over the edge like, nope, I don't want anything to do with this. And by the way, Russian spies, you know, were such a common theme. I mean, in the 80s, it was so easy to go for the whole Russian villain thing between US and, and Russia at that time. Comes up a lot in Moonlighting. And Maddie wants nothing to do with it, right? She wants to call the CIA. Too big for them. It's not what they deal with. But I love the line. He says, no, they don't have anything in Russia. No Disneyland, no Three Stooges, no baseball, only ballet and roulette. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. Three Stooges, there's a, there's a reference. It's so important to the show. And that's right. I mean, Russia is well known for their Russian ballet and their Russian roulette. Right. Yeah. And roulette. Yeah, I know. Just some really funny dialogue there. So typical of Maddie and David. He gets excited by this stuff. She gets repelled, but he has to keep her on track. He's a deep, deep private eye. He just loves the detective work. Yes. He gets so excited. So they go into Blue Moon and Agnes says someone's there to see them or they have a client finally. And they're so excited. What's his name? Yeah. Roy Hirsch. Uh Uh-oh. Did you happen to notice that this guy was alive? (laughs) (laughs) So they can't go in there. Oh, Oh, and Agnes says, yeah, he's just in there playing pool. I love the hand movements that was playing pool. It's also kind of funny because of the reference to the beginning where, you know, maybe they took back the baby grand, but he got his pool table. Yeah, he must have brought it in by helicopter, like he said. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> going to have to pop the glass. That sounded like really big feet. I would have liked to have seen the fake Roy Hirsch play pool. Yeah, exactly. At this point, with the moonlighting sometimes convoluted, uh, you might be following it. I'm still like, okay, so who would be in that office? Um, which one? It's the Russian. Okay. It's who they call the blonde man for some reason. But, yeah, it's the Russian. It's Arkady Nestavinchenko. So they run down to the basement and the so-called CIA man is waiting for them. And here is yet another reason why we can't stream the show. Exactly. Music. There's hand-holding Grace. Don't skip over the hand-holding. Pulling her down the hallway into the elevator, which I, I like all of that. Him kind of like taking her by the hand and pulling her to the next thing. And then they're always so very close, shoulder to shoulder, coming out of the elevator and see the man waiting there. Now that you mentioned that, yes, I like when he drags her into the elevator and he does a spin again. Yeah. He sort of goes. Yeah, Yeah. he's so bouncy. Yeah, so they create a little plan that um, she's going to get the car and he's going to create a diversion, some kind of distraction. So he starts playing his harmonica. Yeah, and he does a good job too. So another thing for the Excel spreadsheet, Grace, Bruce sings. He sings My Girl. One thing about this scene that we know from, I don't I'm not sure if it's commentary on the DVD or past interviews. This was a scene that was shot one day. The director, they were running out of time. It was later in the day. And he had the scene set up in a way that he didn't exactly want it. But because of the time frames and things like that, he just shot it the way he did. And then Jay Daniel looked at the footage and said, wouldn't it be better if Bruce, you know, or David started like further down in the garage and, you know, walked up towards the guy and all of the stuff. And the director said, well, that's how I wanted it, but we didn't have time. And Jay said, well, we'll reshoot it tomorrow then. Kind of an example on Moonlighting, how the priority was getting the shots that they wanted, not just saving time. And which is part of the reason they were always kind of behind schedule. But I think it was a, an interview with the director. Um, he was just really surprised he had never worked on a TV show that was kind of on a time frame that was as lax as they were like, oh, well, we'll shoot it again tomorrow. He was never told that he could like reshoot it the way that he wanted it the next day on a TV show. Yeah, that's great. That um, that goes to the quality of the show and quality of the scenes. And Jay Daniel probably was a big part of that. Yeah. As it's kind of been told that even though they were kind of under pressure, they were like relaxed enough to say, no, we're going to shoot it the way we want it. And that's why it's moonlighting. 
I guess we need to appreciate that, even though some episodes came late. It's a show that took pride in the quality of work that they put out. Yeah, and it's a great scene. And it does work well by him being all the way down near the elevators and playing his harmonica. So, And David, oh my gosh. So he's being very kind of silly. He's trying to get the guy to sing with him, really creating distraction. You can see Maddie in the background, like creeping down and going, going to the car. That's all great. She gets the car. She speeds up. At some point, uh, David sits on another car. The alarm goes off and he starts shooting. <laughs> it's like, David. Now, first of all, he shoots yeah. at the tire and the tire doesn't deflate. Yeah, right. It's a funny scene where I don't think the alarm would have stopped by you shooting it. No. Unless you actually hit the alarm system, the bullet hit the alarm system. Yeah. <laughs> Was David just kind of having a hair trigger reaction to he knew there was like an element of danger, you know, with these spies around and stuff. And his reaction is quite extreme. And then Maddie drives by and he jumps in the window, which is really funny. Like you can see half of his body hanging out, you know, as they're like driving out. That's so good. Yeah, it's so funny. I don't know if you have anything else to say about that scene, but we get into the chase, the chase. So the Russian comes out of the elevator because he's realized that they're not coming back to the office or he thinks something's up. He comes out of the elevator. The Russian sees the so-called CIA guy. The chase is on. And here we are with a car chase. So we get into the chase. And I think for Moonlighting, this is the first big chase scene that they had, um, if, if I remember correctly, thinking back on the past episodes. And Moonlighting being Moonlighting, they're you know very meta. They definitely draw our attention to that. They point it out. We're in a chase. This is a chase, Maddie. And all of the elements that go into a chase. So this is classic Moonlighting where they're just drawing attention to exactly what's happening on screen at the moment. This was a major car chase, yes. They have had smaller ones in previous episodes, but this was a really good one. Really, really well done. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, she says, what do I do now? I think this is the third time she's said it. Yeah. What do we do Uh, now? Punch this cow, will you? (laughs) I love that line. That's a line that sticks in my mind that I say, punch this cow, will you? Or like, um, press the pedal, Credle. I think he says, you know, of course, those lines that we say that nobody gets. And she says, I will. What does that mean? Yeah, the back and forth. And this is just so good. And this is just like such classic moonlighting. What is Maddie's main concern? Her driving record. I have a perfect driving record. No, I don't want to do this. David, you're going to have to drive. I'm not going to mar my perfect record for this chase. They're in like a life-threatening chase right now. And she's worried about her driving record, which is hilarious. (laughs) It's great, you know? And he's talking her through everything right? Because make a left turn from the far right lane. You don't make a left turn from the far right lane. We do. What do I do now? Get in the far right lane and make a sharp left. You don't make a left turn from the far right lane. We do. You know, (laughs) yeah, just like all along the way, he is telling her things to do that are against like the driving rules, you know, like, oh, we don't have the right of way, Maddie. We're going 80 miles an hour down an alley. This is not a time to debate right of way, you know, and stuff (laughs) like that. It's just, it's just great. I mean, this is one of the great moonlighting scenes. Yeah, and you know my favourite part of it is when she, when she says, <laughs> sorry, it cranks me up. Yeah. Faster. I don't like driving fast and forward. I don't like driving fast and backward. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't like driving fast and forward and I don't like driving fast and backward. All of these lines, all of this dialogue, all of this whole chase is just moonlighting, very meta, very like calling out all the elements of a chase scene him talking her through it, her worrying about her driving record. Oh my gosh, it's just so great. Speaking of them driving backwards, did you see when they were driving backwards, they've taken off the headrests so you can have a clearer view of them. So the headrests are removed when when the camera's in the back seat. And again, a very kind of intimate moment or a very intimate touching between Sybil and Bruce. Um, I think it's Sybil and Bruce here. He has his arm behind her chair and her arm is on his arm. No, that's a great observation. I didn't, I, yeah, I noticed the touching each other, but I didn't yeah. notice the headrests were gone. Yeah. Yeah. When they shoot them from the front, you know, just from the regular angle of them being in the car, the headrests are behind them. They're absolutely like clearly removed so you can see them. But I just love how they're both looking backwards. His arm is like behind her chair and then she's holding onto his arm as he, she's turning around. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. That's so something very like intimate about it and sweet. Great observation. Thank you. 
That's what we're here for. Yeah, so I noticed a couple of times when they hit the car, the car wasn't damaged. But then in the next scene, yes, it is damaged on the left-hand side at the front. I did see that added a dent at some point, yeah. When the car crashes, great scene. Before the blue car crashes, which obviously has the Russian in it, from the side, they do a shot from the side and the guy driving has this black helmet on and it's very, very clear. Oh, how funny. And then when it crashes, it rolls Mm -hmm. over. The guy is still in it and you can see the helmet moving. But before that, there's a head-on view of the two bad guys driving behind them and yeah. they're clearly the stuntmen as well. It's really clear that it's not them driving. I've noticed that too, that they're doubles in there at some point. Yeah, David tells her to take a take a left or take a right or whatever is last, you know, and she's not sure about the turn. And he said, I've been right about everything. I think they take a right. They're at a dead end. He's been right about everything except for this one thing, I guess he says. <laughs> okay, two but, mistakes. <laughs> we've been running from the CIA. Okay, two mistakes. <laughs> I love the lighting when they come to the dead end and they have front view of um, Sybil and Bruce, yeah. both of their eyes are like, hers are so blue and his are so green. The lighting here really brings up the best of their features. Oh, right. Yes. When they're surprised it's a dead end and she puts on the brakes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And anyways, I guess they realize that they now they've been told they're running from the CIA and yeah. they bring the, this agent back to their office. <laughs> Why would they go all the way back to the office? I know. I agree. Yeah, so this is where the CIA guy explains to them who Roy Hirsch is, that he's a double agent, posed as a Russian spy, but gave the Americans information, trying to stop terrorist activities in the country, but that he would tell the authorities first before that happened. And that's why they're trying to stop him from telling them about this assassination that's coming up that's in the letter, and it's in Russian. Right. So this is where he actually explains. He says... Just before he left Lisbon, the Russians found him out. So they tried to stop him before he told the authorities in the States about the assassination plot. And they killed a plane load of people to stop him, which is terrible. So the Russians have finally realised that he changed planes and assigned an American-based Soviet agent the task of eliminating Roy Hirsch, which is that Arkadine Stavinchenko. And she goes, oh, the other Roy Hirsch. But unfortunately, the guy did it in the wrong order. He killed him first before he got them communicate. Right. Now, this CIA guy, which we still think is a CIA guy at this stage, wants this letter. And, of course, David's really disappointed about this, isn't he? Yeah. He's like, this is where it all ends. This is how it happens. Yeah. He makes some references here that I guess are probably typical to maybe Russian. I don't know. He says, no speedboat chase, no little man in a boiler hat. Mm. All of those must be like references to like things that are typical in maybe a Russian spy movie. Yeah, I reckon it sounds more like 007 type characters. Yeah. And that's when he says, Roy and I were close. I knew his hiding place. He's sort of roughly worked out that David and Maddie might have the envelope. But what a big mouth, seriously. Now, (laughs) if if you're the assassin, why would you tell them? oh, there's going to be an assassination tonight of a Chinese diplomat at the Biltmore. Yeah, exactly. Why does he give all the information? Yeah, so he probably thinks, well, these geezers, they don't know what they're doing. They're not going to come and stop me. Now, David says something here which I don't understand, so I don't know if you can explain it. Maddie says, do you read Russian? And the guy goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, this guy reads Russian, Stalin, taking his time or beating a deadline. Do you read Russian? This guy reads Russian, Stalin, taking his time or beating a deadline. I don't know what that means. He reads Russian, Stalin, taking his time or beating a deadline. Yeah, I don't really get it either. Hmm. Oh, you know what? It could be. I bet maybe those are book titles. Is it a play on words? I'm trying to think like, you know, how they love the, the play on words double meaning. Not good book titles to use if that's what they're trying to say. If anybody can help us out, they can email us at fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. The CIA guy smiles and they're like, what are you smiling about? It's like, oh, it says a man with a mole on his nose. Yeah. And there we go. That's the setup for the future joke. And then Maddie's really happy about it, saying that it's nice to know that because of what we did, because of the work we did. Right now, a phone call is being made. Plans are being put into motion. Because of us, some friendly dignitary's life is going to be saved. Some international incident avoided. But, of course, while she's saying that, David's face goes white 
because he's just realized something. Yeah. The guy didn't make a phone call. If it was so important, David's right, he would have got on the phone and gone, listen, get over there now. Yeah. Say that again. All of it? No, just the part about a phone call. What phone call? Exactly. What phone call? This guy's racing around to find out who's going to be assassinated at a state dinner in just a few hours. He finds out. He doesn't make the phone call. Why? Maybe he didn't trust our phone. Maybe they just bugged. Maybe he didn't need to know who was being killed to save him. Maybe he needed to know who was being killed so he could kill him. Yeah, so true. So that kind of tips them off that they better get over to the Biltmore and stop this assassination. And because of that, I love how he asks her what she's doing for dinner tonight. What are you doing for dinner tonight? What do you mean? Feel like a little Chinese? <laughs> I just love how he says it. So we finally get to the next scene. A great Dr. Seuss scene, which I will put the snippet in. <laughs> yes. And the scene that was very difficult to film because the poor guy, as he's kind of known, as we've seen in bloopers and as it's been talked about in commentary, he could not say these lines and it took forever to get that yeah. filmed. Well, this is the part I don't understand. In Scott Ryan's book, it said that this was sort of the start of the problems with running out of time and being behind schedule. But I thought they were yeah. already behind schedule with previous episodes. Yeah. This particular night went very late into the night. Now, I don't yes. know whether it was because of this guy or with other reasons. I know they filmed all night. I think it was one of those, I think Sybil said, maybe 23 hours or something like that on set. Wow. And um. I think it was because of the food fight. And I don't know if those were filmed on the same day, but I think that just the whole food fight setup was really long and it, that went late. But I think with a lot of dialogue and long hours anyway, and being on location, waiting, you know, standing there while this guy is trying to say the lines must have been very frustrating. Although, you know, not really his fault, but how frustrating would that be? If you just say these lines, we can move on, but he just can't get them out. Yeah. But the funny thing is when I watched the scene, there's not a lot of snippets of them, all three of them together. Yeah. There's a lot of the guy on his own. So I'm assuming it ended up that they just kept trying with the guy on his own and then let Bruce and Sybil leave. I know. But in the bloopers, we see that they are standing there and Bruce is kind of purging him and patting his back and stuff like that when he can't mm. get the lines out. But when you watch the episode, there's not many of the three of them together. I noticed that as well. I think maybe it might be the case they wanted that shot of all three of them, but maybe they did have to give up after a while and just film the guy on his own. You know, maybe it's not exactly the shot they wanted. Hmm. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing because we know that there is footage. It wasn't just him standing there alone saying those lines. There is footage of him trying to get those lines out where David and Maddie are standing there, you know? Yeah. Maybe it just went so long that everyone got frustrated and maybe they filmed him again separately on his own. But I, I noticed that too. It's like, well, yeah, why did everybody have to wait so long if the guy was really just being filmed on his own anyway? But I think that's not maybe how they originally planned it because you can tell it's a different cut. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so too. I reckon they gave up that poor guy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, when you watch the bloopers again, it's like there's more than one take of the guy trying to say it. Bruce's face is like trained on him like, keep going, keep going, keep going, you know. Yeah. Bruce is like looking like so pensively like, is he going to get through it? And then he's like, oh, no, he didn't. And that poor guy, I have been yeah. trying to find out who he is. It's actually been quite difficult because IMDb have actually mixed up the characters and the actors' names. They've actually got it wrong. Sorry, IMDb. His name is Raymond O'Keefe, and he is being accredited everywhere else as being the maitre d'. However, in IMDb, they've got him as a dinner guest. And that's what confused me because in IMDb, the maitre d', they say, is Nick Angotti, which isn't because he's the policeman. So it took me a while to find out, with Shauna's assistance as well, we finally found out who he is. His name is Raymond O'Keefe because it's taken me this long to find him. It's not clear on the internet, but we've found somewhere where it's clear that that's him. Great. So thank you, Raymond O'Keefe, for doing that scene. It's one of the most memorable and entertaining scenes in the history of moonlighting. Name, please? David Addison. Madeline Hayes. I'm sorry, but you're not on the guest list. That's because we're not guests. We're looking for a man with a mole on his nose. Mole on his nose? A mole on his nose. What kind of clothes? What kind of clothes? What kind of clothes do you suppose? What kind of clothes do I suppose would be worn by a man with a mole on his nose? Who knows? Did I happen to mention that I bothered to disclose this man that we're seeking with a mole on his nose? I'm not sure of his clothes or anything else except he's Chinese. A big clue by itself. 
How do you do that? I've got to read a lot of Dr. Seuss. I'm sorry to say, I'm sad to report, I haven't seen anyone at all of that sort. Not a man who's Chinese with a mole on his nose with some kind of clothes that you can't suppose. So, get away from this door and get out of this place or I'll have to hurt you. Put my foot in your face. Oh. Time to go. Time to go. Yes. And one that, you know, made TV so different back in that day. People were not doing Dr. Seuss rhymes in dialogue. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, when Maddie and David walk away, did you notice they have someone conveniently standing in front of that maitre d'. Yes. You can't see his face, so it's obviously he was sent home. Now it's a different setup. Maddie and David walk away from him. I still thought it was him, though. It still looked like him. Really? I thought they were kind of filming it in a way where his face was conveniently blocked. Now here we have David taking Maddie's arm, you know, very swiftly over to the stairs, down the stairs, you know, onto his next. He's always got like another plan, another plan, another plan. He does think so fast. Yeah. He brings them down the stairs to where it says, you know, staff. I love this scene because of the the swing door and they go in and it's a different time and then the door opens again and they're in their waiter's uniform. I love um, David's uniform. The trousers are too short and he's got white socks. It's hilarious. Yeah, like nothing fits them, of course, you know, because they're just like, you know, grabbing any old uniform. David's uniform is too small. And also the cut, just because of how editing was done in that day. They go in and then there's like a clear cut. It doesn't really match up today. Like it would have been such a smoother transition. But yeah, so his is too short. And then Maddie, though, this scene cracks me up because she's worried about the cleavage. She's like, where's the rest of it? She's worn tons of dresses that like are cut down to South America. <laughs> down to South America. <laughs> like other scenes, she's had like revealing outfits on, hasn't she? Yeah, of course, when um, when she goes to Buenos Aires. And when her and David go out to dinner with uh, Richie in Brother Can You Spare a Blonde, that's a low-cut dress as well. Yeah, that dress. Yeah. I mean, maybe not, not up until this point. I'm trying to – she's gone out to dinner with uh, some people and I don't know. No, she just is acting know. like very conservative at the moment. Her whole leg, her the slit on her skirt is like up super high, but she's worried about a little cleavage. That skirt is so short. So it's really short, plus the cleavage is low. She looks gorgeous in it, and she pulls it off, as she normally does. Now, what do you think about their heights here? I noticed that she's, like, taller than him. Did you notice that? Oh, well, what shoes did she have on? I didn't notice. She must have had some high-heeled shoes on or something, and he must have had some really flat shoes. Look again. Oh, when they're standing in the doorway together right there, she looks taller than him. Wow. And they kind of shoot him. From above, it's not the most flattering view of him. He almost, to me, he looks very tired or almost like hungover or something like that. When they, he almost looks like he has dark circles under his eyes when he's saying like, and I, for one, salute you. And then she says, salute you, Addison. He goes, I like that. 
yeah, he does look different there. I don't know. He looks washed out, to be honest. It's just not a flattering camera angle shooting him from above like that. I like how they enter the room covering their faces and the maitre d' thinks it's a bit strange, but he doesn't do anything about it. And I love their interaction in front of the plant. Yes. I was going to mention that as well. I love that. And they bash into each other and she's going, you watch it, you watch it. So now that we're here, what do we do? We look for the CIA guy or the Chinese guy with the mole on his nose. And if one of us finds one of them? Holler. Watch it, watch it. I know. Yes, I love that. That's all some like really great physical comedy. They're definitely doing more of that physical comedy in this episode. So they go around and they're pouring champagne and they're going to each Chinese man to see if they've got he's got a mole on his nose. And then <laughs> David finally reaches the cute Chinese man and he's so cute. He goes, Can I have some champagne, please? Yeah. Such yeah. a nice fella. I know. And uh, David says, the mole. <laughs> and then he realises that the um, the CIA guy is not from the CIA, that yeah. he's some sort of agent and he's there posing as a photographer and he's trying to find the Chinese man with a mole on his nose. Yeah. So what I don't understand is when the CIA guy goes, what are you doing here? David says, we've replaced the banquet hall's coffee with real crystals. Yes. Okay. So this is a reference that you would not get being outside of the States. There was a popular TV commercial for Folgers crystals, coffee, like instant coffee called Folgers that the commercial said, no one in this restaurant knows that we've replaced the regular coffee with Folgers crystals. And then they like secretly see how people are enjoying the coffee. Oh, this coffee is so delicious. Oh, and they didn't even know it was Folgers crystals, you know, freeze dried, not fresh. And it's so delicious. Yeah. That was a very popular TV commercial in the States. Okay. Well, the rest of us didn't understand what that was. So, <laughs> but yeah. again, you know, Glenn being Glenn, he put it in and eventually we find out. Yep. Exactly. The references all become clear at some point. Well, thank you for that. I'm glad you cleared that up for me. As you do with I everything know. else, that's good. I try. I try. Yes. Then the CIA guy, does he lunge at them or shoot it? What happens is, David says the thing about the crystals and yeah. Maddie grabs him from the back and pushes him to the ground, trying to get the gun off him. Right. And I like that David asked for Maddie's help. He's like, Maddie. That's right. Yes. I love the way she pushes him to the ground. So she's really getting into it, into the spy yeah. game. And then <laughs> David tries to get to her and some guy stops him and says, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I've been clean yes. for years. Why does everybody keep asking me that? I know, I know. Yeah, there's a, that line again. So good. I think it starts with one of the Chinese men trying to hit David in the face because he's caused trouble. Yeah. And then it's on for young and old then. Everybody starts throwing food. I know, yeah. The food fight, that is just so, again, such a funny thing and so not done on television <laughs> that everyone in this bank would start throwing like fettuccine Alfredo at each other, you know. Yeah, and I, like I would not have liked to have been the cleaner that night. Ah, you're right. Yeah, the behind-the-scenes crew must sometimes think, oh, no, they're going to do a food fight. Like, oh, we've got to set that all up, and then we've got to clean that all up. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's when it's nice to be the leads. You just uh, play the scene and, and go back to your trailer. And then they get pies in the face. You know what? This was a great way to end the episode. And how that came about, um, I've heard two different stories now. Mm-hmm. Um, so regarding you know pies in the face, first of all, I think, yes, Sybil and Bruce, there was some tension between them. So one story is uh, from the interview that I sent you yesterday, Grace, that you, that you watched uh, with them on Good Morning America. They say in that interview, there were two different stories being told. The one that they said in the interview and Glenn, Glenn told another one where Sybil suggested it and, and Glenn told her to get Bruce on board. Oh, okay. Yeah, I heard that. Well, when I see interviews of her, she says that she requested it. Oh, okay. So you've seen other interviews with Sybil, and Sybil has said that the pie in the face was her idea. Yeah. And she got Bruce on board? Not to my recollection. She doesn't, she doesn't mention that, I don't think. It was like, a great decision. Yeah, it was um, a fun, very fun way to end the episode. And from that interview that we saw of them on Good, Good Morning America, they both really liked it. They both kind of enjoyed getting a pie in the face. 
Yeah, and I really love how it's done, that he ducks and it hits Maddie and then he gets up thinking, oh, he's safe and somebody hits him. It's the best. Great ending. And uh, they both have smiles on their faces. You can tell they did have a lot of fun. Yeah, and you can tell that uh, Maddie squints before it hits her, like she knows it's coming. Yeah, she sees it coming. Yes. And Bruce kind of has a big smile on his face and he gets hit. Whoever threw the pies had a very good aim. Yes, I thought that too. I was wondering, every time I watch this episode, I always wonder if they had to have several takes in case the pie didn't hit the face properly. Can you imagine having to have a shower and do her hair again and her makeup and, you know. (laughs) In television, that's very possible. I hope that it was just all in fun and they did one last take of them getting hit in the face and they just happened to have good aim. I think because that would be, um, after a very long shoot, that would be a bummer to go get all dressed again. I hope they did it all in one take. I would really like to know that, how many takes it took to get that right, because it's perfect. And if they did it on the first take, big credit to them. I know. Well, something to write down for a future guest. Just a really fun episode overall, a great season ender. One thing I wanted to mention about just the show in general, I put it on one night just to watch it. I think I was having trouble sleeping. I said, oh, well, I'll just watch the episode without taking notes, you know, just to enjoy it. Oh my gosh, it was over. It seemed like in five minutes, it goes so fast and there's so much action and it's so much fun. And you just get so carried along with Maddie and David. I thought it can't be over already. And then it was, you know, and it just is funny because I watch a lot of television and do you ever watch uh, say a 45 minute episode of television and it kind of seems to drag on. You're like, this, when, is this show over yet? You know, when is the show over? Like how much time is left? Still 15 more minutes to go. And it's just amazing how fast and how fun Moonlighting is and how fast the episodes go. Yeah, you can always tell when, you know, you're really enjoying an episode and, oh, it's over. <laughs> I know. Um, that's when this particular episode, I get disappointed when it's over because It usually ends with them back at Blue Moon discussing the case or their day or their week, how long it took to complete the case. But this one just ends, boom. But I think for the comedic side of things, I think it was perfect that it ended just there. I know. I agree. I was almost waiting for that end tag, you know, then back at the office um, saying how they solved the case. Yeah, that's just they go out on that right to credits. Great episode with great one-liners, action-packed, car chases, costume changes, a bit of espionage, spies, a lot of references, especially to New York. Yep. And a lot of fast-paced dialogue. Really good episode. Yeah, a lot of uh, talks in the car, which we always love. A lot of Sybil and Bruce interaction, Maddie and David. So funny how we're always confusing, which is which. Overall, a really good episode. So, Shauna. Yes, Grace. Is this episode in your top 10? It is not in my top 10. Is it in yours? It is indeed not in my top 10. Okay. That was very difficult not to put it in my top 10, but it is not yeah. in my top 10 because yeah. there are other episodes above it. But it I know. probably is in my top 20. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I, I haven't really thought about where it actually falls for me. I would say it's not a go-to episode. I'm not just like throwing on murders in the mail. But for me, I don't throw on a lot of really early episodes if I'm just going to watch an episode one night, you know. Mm. But I enjoy it. You know, it's not one that I think of, but when I watch it, I enjoy it. Mm, Good. It's now time for Moonlight Trivia. Are you ready? Yes. Would you like to go first? Sure. I'm laughing already because (laughs) I (laughs) I like my first question. Oh, God. Okay, Grace, when Agnes answers the phone after her rhyme, what was the coffee order? <laughs> I do know this. I know what it is because I've known it for a long time. Um, three black, two with sugar, yeah. and one tea with lemon on the side. That's right. All right, good, good. What is Roy Hirsch's apartment number? Um, 3C. 3C, yes, you're right. Let's see. That may I may have only had two today. Let me see if I put in a third. Oh, it's not it's not a trivia, but one thing I did want to just mention: there is a Stooges reference right before Bruce got um, hit in the face with a pie. He goes like, yeah, 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 yeah. He does that. Ah, um, oh, yes. 
yeah yeah just to, uh just to point out but anyway sorry grace um i only had two and you have gotten 100 percent on your trivia quiz today <laughs> actually it's funny you should say that because you know when they're both in the fire escape she goes what's he doing or something and he goes looking for this and to me it's a new york accent oh yes he does a definite new york accent there and the way he says something in her office in the beginning of the show and i should have written it down very new york he says it with a very new york or jersey accent definitely his uh, accent comes out here and there my daughter, Dana, has a really good um, imitation of a New York accent. Yeah, whenever she hears a New York accent, which is mm-hmm. very strange for us because I don't think a lot of Australians would notice a New York accent, to be honest, but we mm-hmm. watch too much television. So Dana always says, my dog. Oh, my dog. My dog. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's I like that. Okay. I had a few questions, but we've discussed a lot of them, but I'll ask some anyway. At the beginning, when Maddie is discussing with David about ECAC, and she said we should be getting real clients, and she mentions two types of clients that she wants. Do you remember what they were? Yes. I know. I know you're going to ask this. And, and I, oh my gosh, no. You're getting to know my questions now. <laughs> so I know. I know. Uh, okay. Department store chain. And brokerage house. Yay! <laughs> uh, I am looking at every detail. I'm like, she's going to ask me the color of something that's on the table, or she's going to ask me the color of <laughs> Agnes's something or other, or when they give lists of things, brokerage houses, department store chains. Yes, I, I, you're right. I am getting to know. We're, I think we're getting to know each other's uh, type of questions. What are the three things David says that describes the job as subcontracting for ECAC? Mm, describes the job um, you know how she says oh are we debt collectors and he goes no we're this we're that and we're this uh, no not debt collectors we're uh, uh, it's like oh no I can hear it I can hear <laughs> it uh, we're debt settlers Bill Cl- oh gosh that's a good question I should have known it I should have saw it coming I could totally hear it in my mind but I can't I can't come up with what he said we mentioned one before. Okay. Yeah. It's not coming to mind. We're credit marshals, payment enforcers, bill busters. We're credit marshals. We're payment enforcers. We're bill busters. Oh, uh, yeah. Bill busters. Credit, yeah. Okay. Yes. Good question. When they were at the door to, to see Roy Hirsch, when Roy Hirsch let them in. Yeah. And she starts getting angry. What are the two names she calls him? <sighs> What did she say? Oh. <laughs> oh, darn it. That's when she says, like, come on, Hirsch, haul your ashes over to the door. That's right. Yeah. Again, it's like on the tip of my tongue. It's like I can hear the dialogue. Um, but I can't remember, like, what exactly she says to him. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of it. <laughs> you parasite you gold bricker you you yeah right you parasite okay i remember that i think the subtitle says gold bricker so i have to look that up i don't know what that is but anyway she says you parasite you gold bricker and then david finishes it off and says what does he say no (laughs) it's not happening no okay not happening low life you low life okay gold bricking the term originates from the Confidence trick of applying a gold coating to a brick of worthless metal. So she's called him a gold bricker. Yeah. So they're making nice. something look like gold. Yeah. Trying to like forging something basically. Hmm. Okay. Well, there you go. Learn something every day. Yeah. We always do with this show. We always, uh, those references teach us. Oh, I have one more question. Yeah. It was an observation, but I'll see it as a question because I don't know. You didn't mention it. So. After the car chase and they get into the dead end and yeah. the CIA guy parks behind them, mm-hmm. they get out of the car, put their hands up, and there yeah. is some graffiti on the wall. Oh, gosh. Do you know I what mean, it gra- says? Oh, my gosh. That is detailed, Grace. <laughs> what does the graffiti say? And you know what? It's so funny because they must have put it there. 
because it's apropos to the episode. Oh, really? Hmm. Hmm. I did not. I did not catch that. I did not see what was written on the wall. And it's not Bob loves Mary and Jesus saves. Right. Yeah. Because I did notice the graffiti on that last episode, but I'm curious. What does it say? It just says Roy. Yeah. Like Roy Hirsch. Yeah. Mm, How funny. Get out of town. Yeah. Hmm. Get out of town. Hmm. So, Shauna, here is a quick summary of season one. So with the door slams, we have a grand total of zero, which we can't believe because we always thought it started from season one. But the door slams began at season two. With the elevator, there are no scenes with Maddie or David coming out of the elevator showing their feet. However, there are quite a few scenes of them both going into the elevator. With Singing Bruce, we have Respect by Aretha Franklin and My Girl, as well as Do I Diddy by Manfred Mann. Other songs featured in the show were Tutti Fruity by Little Richard, Knock on Wood by Eddie Floyd, I'm Crying by Linda Ronstad, and Chain Gang by Sam Cooke. So far, we have six rhymes from Agnes. One in each episode, one in the pilot, one in Gunfight, one in Read the Mind, See the Movie. In The Next Murder You Hear, she did not rhyme. And there were two rhymes in Next Stop Murder and one rhyme in The Murders in the Mail. So that's our summary of season one. It's now time for Moonlight Mail. All right, we have some mail this week, Grace. And each week, um, some of our listeners have been sending us mail to fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com, which we really appreciate. Sometimes it's feedback um, on the episodes, what they liked, what we could add more of. Um, sometimes it's just, um, their story about how they became connected to moonlighting, um, and, you know, other topics as well. And we're always happy to hear from all of our listeners. So please keep sending in your messages. Lately, we've been getting quite a few messages from Mandy, who's a huge fan and is, uh, starting to rewatch the episodes and loves the podcast, but she told us a little bit about her story and how she became connected to moonlighting. Uh, she says, hello, Grace and Shauna. My name is Mandy. I became enthralled with Moonlighting at a very, very young age. I was nine years old when it premiered. Luckily, I had a VCR, and though my mother wouldn't allow me to stay up and watch it, she would tape it for me, all while pausing during the commercial breaks, bless her heart. All day at school on Wednesday, I would anticipate watching the previous night show. I would rewind the tape and watch it immediately, all in caps, when I got home and get frustrated with my mom if she messed up and left a few commercials in. I would come to elementary school on Thursday dying to talk about it, and of course, no one had seen it. What sparked my interest in the show was the character of David Addison. I remember seeing him sing Do Wah Diddy to Maddie in the alley on a commercial and thought, I have to watch the show to see who the heck this guy is. I hadn't seen anyone like him on television up to that point. I look back now and cannot believe I was so interested and so invested in such an adult show with such sophisticated humor. The discovery aspect of the show has always been a fun experience for me. What cracks me up now is how I came to get the jokes. When Addison sings, who knows, before he kicks the pipe to find the Duchess painting at the auto shop and Maddie says, you want to wrap this thing up, Tony? We're in shark territory. I didn't know that reference was from West Side Story until we watched the movie in my class in ninth grade. You both will appreciate this one. I can't remember which episode it is, but David says something about the morning. Morning precedes the afternoon, becomes Electra. Morning becomes Electra is a book by Eugene O'Neill, which became a play and then a 1947 film with Rosalind Russell. I came across the meaning of that one purely by accident. I don't remember where, but for the longest time, I never understood what he meant by that. These moments are like little light bulbs. And I say, oh, now I get it. The music is burned into my brain as well, which now, unfortunately, I'm finding out is the curse preventing it from being streamed. I can't listen to Please, Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes without seeing that chase to the post office. Photographs do not bend. Now look what you did. I can't hear Devil in the Blue Dress without thinking of Whoopi Goldberg running through the streets of L.A. being chased by Judd Nelson. And who could forget Psychedelic Shack by The Temptations for David's funk video? 
Love David showing Maddie how to get down, how to stay down, how to roll around. All the guest stars have been impressed upon me too. When I was young, I would watch other shows and chime out to my mom, he, she was on Moonlighting, to which she would just roll her eyes. At one point, I had a theory that if an actor had a guest shot on Moonlighting, he, she eventually got their own show. Allie Mills and Dan Loria got the Wonder Years together. John Goodman got Roseanne, but not quite sure if he guest starred on, on Moonlighting after getting the part of Dan. Mark Carmen got NCIS. Terry O'Quinn got lost. Just a crazy theory. Anyway, I'm sure you'll be hearing from me a lot. Looking forward to hearing more. You're doing a great job, Mandy. Ah, very nice. Very detailed. Thank you, Mandy. Yeah. And I, I was also thinking, uh, what's her name? Who was in Knowing Her? Dana Delaney. Yeah. When she was mentioning people getting their own shows, Dana Delaney got China Beach. Yeah, I think um, it's a great email, Mandy. And um, I think a lot of us can relate to everything that you say as far as music reminding us of scenes. And, you know, like as we go through these, Grace references become clear and suddenly a light bulb moment really makes sense. And yep, very relatable. All right, Grace, we have another email from a big Moonlighting fan, Pam. And she's not just a fan. She's somebody that has done a lot of work in the past to keep Moonlighting out there being discussed keep the flame of the show lit, um, basically, kind of a pre us, right? Before there were podcasts, um, there were fans out there who really wanted to keep the show alive. And they created fanzines and interviewed the cast and crew, Glenn, Sybil, possibly Bruce, I can't remember. But anyway, there's so much information there and so many interviews. And um, this woman, Pam, was um, instrumental in getting those fanzines, which is, you know, another collection of great behind the scenes, look at Moonlighting and how it was all put together. Does a great job of keeping Moonlighting alive and under a topic of discussion. Also, it paved the way to the DVDs being released. That's why we have the DVDs and that's why we have the commentary that I referenced so much. So I'm so thankful to Pam and other people that were part of this group. So let me read you um, what Pam has to say. Uh, it means a lot coming from Pam because she has been so instrumental in keeping the show alive. So Pam says, hi, Grace and Shauna. I worked on the Moonlighting Strangers fanzine with Joy, Christy, Diana, Michelle, Kim, and lots of other contributors. I was in college when Moonlighting was on in the 80s. I think I caught on to it season two. I remember really loving knowing her. This old heart of mine really got me. I was hooked with the reruns. I think I caught up on the earlier ones I missed pretty fast. I knew who Sybil Shepherd was, but I clearly remember missing the opening credits and wondering who played David. Bruce Willis? They were so great together. Skipping ahead many years, I found someone online who was selling tapes of the Moonlighting episodes. When they came, I stayed up all night and watched them, one by one. I met up online with our Moonlighting group, and we all hit it off. Joy and Christy had the idea of trying to start a reunion campaign and get the show on DVD. We had so much fun doing it. I love your podcast and look forward to every episode. You're doing a great job, Pam. Oh, thank you so much, Pam. We love Pam. Yeah. Pam's really supportive of our podcast and she's really active in our Facebook group. So thank you, Pam, for sending that email. We really appreciate it. Yes, Pam, like I said, it means so much coming from you and the other ladies who are also in our Moonlighting Fans of the Moonlighting podcast Facebook group that you guys are so active and so supportive of the podcast because you have paved the way for us to do our podcast and to continue keeping moonlighting being discussed. So another woman that she mentioned in this email is Diana, who is actually going to be a guest on our podcast in the next couple of weeks, Grace. Yes, we're very excited about having Diana on. She's going to have some great insights, I think. Yeah, she's going to talk to us about creating these fanzines, what it was like to have the campaign to have a reunion between all the major players, Sybil Bruce and Glenn which did happen when they finally got the DVDs released and had commentary for the episodes and other interviews with cast and crew. So instrumental player in the release of those DVDs and the commentary tracks and all the great insight that we still treasure about our favorite show. So yes, very much looking forward to talking to Diana. She's also met Bruce Willis and many of the other cast and crew. So we're going to hear some really cool stories from Diana in the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that episode. That was great talking to you about Murders in the Mail. Great episode. Thanks, Shauna. Yes, we've made our way through season one, Grace. So I'll look forward to discussing season two with you very soon. Season one is complete. Yeah, wow. Great job, Grace. (laughs) 
Great job, Shauna. Thank you, and more to come. Stay tuned. And thank you, Moonlighting fans, and we'll see you all in Season 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.